0: after what I saw on Saturday, is still the best team in the Big 12. They still run that conference. And here's why. I saw a team that was faster on defense, that I think can play potentially better defense during the course of the season, but also a team and a coach that very astutely hired a guy that was brilliant on offense, that could maintain some explosiveness and some firepower on the offensive side. So they go get Jeff Levy, they go get a guy that Jeff worked with, Gabriel Dylan Gabriel, and that looked pretty good. So I was re- reserving judgment on OU coming into this season because they lost so much, folks. I mean, head coach, all the transfers, everything that that they. Lost, lost and and it was a wait and see for me and then i saw it granted against utep but i like what i saw that's still the best team in the big 12
1: there's josh pay 24 7 (laughs) sports talking about Uh. not joel clatt um interesting to hear uh here Joel Klatt's perspective after week one for the University of Oklahoma. He says that Oklahoma is still the best program in the big twelve. Uh, he likes kind of what they've done offensively uh, with who they hired, Dylan Gabriel, all of those things. but really is it have, has anyone seen enough yet to know who the best team in the big 12 is really?
0: I mean, you could definitely argue no, I I guess, and I like Joel, we both like Joel, we've had him on the show before, but I just, I guess I just think it's a super lazy take. If you're down on this team, that's fine, but if you're down on this team and your only reason is, well, they got a first-time head coach and they lost a lot of players, am I wrong to just, because that's what everyone said this offseason, am I wrong just to think that that's a super lazy take? I, and I think it's super lazy because you're not really looking at who they added this off season, getting into the nuts and the bolts of what this program's been all about since he took over in December. I just, if you want, if you ever wanted to doubt this, that, that's fine. It's just the the losing too many players thing. I think was always ridiculous.
1: No, well, it was, it was, um, and I still think that, like, week one is Oklahoma the best team in the Big 12? I I think there's an argument that can easily be made that they are. Um, But I think you could also say, well, we haven't seen enough to to make that assumption yet. And I think you could also say that Baylor's the best team in the Big 12 right now. But by the time they play, Oklahoma will be the best team. Because I do think that there's going to be – uh, every team, unless you account for injuries and stuff, and that stuff matters, but every team gets better from week one to the final week of the season.
0: Yeah, except last year's it's team, just, but, yeah, that normally does happen.
1: <laughs> it's, just, it's just natural. That's, that's how you progress. Unless something, like, is, is pulling the team apart or you've got injuries, you've got some other, some other issue that's going on. Typically, most teams progress throughout the season, and that will be the case for Oklahoma this year and that will be the case for all of their opponents this year. but I think there's a very strong case to be made that Oklahoma stands to make the largest jump this season from who they are in game one to who they are in the final game. they have of the, the
0: highest realistic ceiling out of anyone in the conference that's that's yeah. what it is yeah and judging by your faith on if they can rise to that level or not i mean and and i do i think that they can get pretty close to what their ultimate ceiling is this year absolutely think that could be the case actually yeah. I, I expect that to be the case if being real honest here
1: well i'll tell you right now if if we can get if if the offensive line gets to where they are the best offensive line in the conference, which I think there's a, a a legitimate shot that they can do that once they're all back playing on the field in their proper positions. But once that happens, I think they can be the best offensive line in the conference. And if that happens, then you're going to have a really dangerous football team on your hands.
0: What does that mean? College football playoff win? Huh?
1: It means that they have a they have a really good shot at winning the Big 12 and have an appearance in the college football playoff.
0: Well, by God, how about that? Uh, Burley Boomer says on the text line: do we stay totally vanilla this weekend or switch it to Neapolitan and save the banana split for the Huskers?
1: Uh, actually, I think you'll get some Neapolitan. Which do, Is that even offered anymore? I feel like one of the things that's happened with uh, – that I hate about where we've come as a society is that Neapolitan's really not a thing anymore.
0: I'm sure it's a thing, but it's like a guacamole. It's a, oh, there will be an upcharge for that, sir. 75% or 75 cent upcharge, $1.50 upcharge for I, Neapolitan.
1: I don't see it anywhere. Think about how genius it is, though. Back in the day when there was three flavors of ice cream, you combined all three into one uh one situation,
0: genius. It's almost like a little flight. If You like beer <laughs> flights, right? It's unbelievable. <laughs> hey, um, let's address, some, and, and not all of these may be inaccurate, by the way, but let's address some inaccurate assessments from game one. I'm going to bring up something that people have been saying on the text line. You tell me if it's an inaccurate assessment from game one. First, OU was bad on Saturday against underneath coverage and got to be a whole lot better this Saturday. Is that inaccurate or true?
1: Oh, were they bad? I don't think they were bad. Were they great? No. Here's the thing, though, man. Teams are going to complete passes on you. The way a zone coverage works is a given route concept has like if you're throwing a let's say you're throwing a a deep out a 18 yard out well you don't just have an 18 yard out an 18 yard out also has a flat route that's being run underneath it and the reason it's being run underneath is to pull the flat player up to the to the shallow route so the quarterback has room to put the out route in there because the flat player jumped the underneath route. So the way zone coverage works is, especially whenever there's a team like UTEP that's trying to beat you deep, you, you play everything deep to short. So you take away the deep routes, force them to throw underneath, and you rally and tackle. And hopefully you have enough pass rush to where the quarterback – Looks at route one, not there because the flat player is given underneath help. Looks at route two, not there because the hook player is deep playing underneath the dig. And then he throws route three, which is the check down or the, the, the option route underneath, and you rally and tackle that one. And the best case scenario is the quarterback gets sacked whenever he goes from read one, read two, to read three, that there's not enough time, and you get a sack, which that happened. We had six sacks. But you're not going to force incompletions everywhere. This isn't 1975 where someone's going to throw the ball six times on you, and they're all going to be deep passes, and maybe they complete one of them. That's not what's going to happen. You're going to defend 40 to 50 passes sometimes in a game. You have to give something. You can't take away everything. If you hug too tight on the underneath throws, guess what? The windows on the digs and the outs behind you are wide open.
0: So, Urban Meyer, is that an inaccurate or accurate assessment from game one?
1: It is somewhere in between. It wasn't great. I mean, the zone coverage like underneath – was not great they've got to get tighter on some of those those routes there's no doubt about it but it wasn't bad
0: okay all right all right he was inaccurate then take number two from the text line this week man i don't know i just didn't see that breakaway speed from eric gray accurate or inaccurate assessment
1: um inaccurate well i don't know I don't know how you define breakaway speed. I don't know that – has it ever been presented that he has, like, breakaway speed?
0: That's – you thought that that's what – and I'm not saying that he doesn't. I'm just – when you got him initially from Tennessee, that's what you thought, maybe more than anything that you were getting is a home run type of back, like some real speed in the open field. Yes.
1: Well, I don't know. It's it's a curious take – Considering he had his longest run he's ever had at Oklahoma in the first game back, right?
0: Yeah, I guess it, that was his, yeah, yeah, I think that's true.
1: So, it stands to reason then that that's a bad take.
0: Take number three, Dylan Gabriel missed on a lot of throws Saturday, I just don't know. I actually got that a couple times today. Someone said that he was a poor man's Baker Mayfield on the text line today. Dylan Gabriel missed on a lot of throws. Accurate or inaccurate assessment.
1: Um what was his what were his final numbers? Did he had like five incompletions.
0: Something uh his, like that. his final numbers against UTEP, which 65%. OU won 45-13. He Eight was fifteen to twenty three, two thirty three, two touchdowns, no picks.
1: 65% completion percentage is i think about i it's it's better than average but for what we're used to that's kind of about your baseline right um for quarterbacks he missed the first throw that was an incompletion not his fault uh that was an offensive line issue he missed the owees he had an opportunity to complete that one. Um, I'm trying to think of what other throws that he just flat out missed. There was an incompletion to uh, to Marcus Major on that little swing yep. thing, and I think maybe it got batted down. So that's three incompletions right there that, I mean, I'm not going to say they weren't his fault, but it's three plays that you really don't make much of, and – you know, three out of eight. I don't know. I think it's stupid to even get hung up on that. He had some throws that he should have hit, he had some incompletions that weren't his fault. Who cares?
0: All right, last one. And I got this, I think, in a DM after the game. Man, uh, Ethan Downs, he just looked like a true sophomore out there today.
1: He is a true sophomore.
0: <laughs> it is accurate. But just weren't overly impressed with his with his game on Saturday.
1: Well I, I've said this all offseason. I expect Ethan Downs to have an excellent year. But I expect and, and this is I feel the same way about Ethan Downs, feel the same way about Stutzman. There's several guys that fall into this category. He's a true sophomore that I don't I don't think has Ethan Downs ever started a game I don't think he has
0: I don't think he did last year I mean he was a rotational guy and he played I don't think he ever did though
1: he he played last year he played some he didn't play he didn't play a ton he played some he made his first start as a true sophomore Stutzman played some sparingly last year played some special teams but not very much made his first start as a true sophomore They should look like true sophomores, especially learning their second defense in two years. Same thing I've said all offseason. Those two guys are going to look totally different by the end of the season than they look right now.
0: Yeah, and I thought Denny Stussman looked really good on Saturday. Um, I haven't watched the game back Uh, and kept an eye on – well, I mean, he had some nice moments. How about that? It wasn't perfect, but – I haven't gone back and watched the entire game to see Ethan Downs, but I will agree with the overall sentiment. They will both end up having nice games, or nice years. I don't really doubt that all uh, that much.
1: Yeah. I, I wouldn't say that that Stutzman had a great game.
0: Yeah, well, he, he had good moments. He didn't have a bad
1: out. game. Yeah, he didn't have a bad game. He had some good moments. Uh, I think my first start was, who was it, North Carolina? In you know, '01. one Well, I'll just tell you, as a true sophomore, in my first start, I sucked, okay? And in my second start, as a true sophomore, I sucked, and it took me a good percentage of the season before I didn't suck, and I didn't turn good instantly. I went from sucky to not as sucky to bad to maybe okay and finally good in, like, the last two games of the year. So I think Danny Stutzman is well above the curve of, of, of where he needs to be right now. And he's going to be, by the end of the season, he's going to be playing excellent football. I and, have no uh, doubt.
0: what did Brent Venables tell you time and time again as to the only reason why you were playing in 2001?
1: Yeah, that I was terrible, and the only reason I'm playing is because he doesn't have anyone else to put in. You know why you're playing,
0: right? Because you have no one else? At least you know that.
1: Right. And he's probably saying similar things to Stutzman right now, you know, which is fine. That's good. That's how it's supposed to be. He's going to be fine. And and same thing with Downs. He's going to be totally fine. He will be better this week. And here's another thing, and I, no one wants to hear it, and that's fine. I, I could care less. But the offensive line for UTEP is actually pretty dang good. Um, the offensive line for Kent State isn't nearly as good as UTEP's. So our defensive line is going to look dramatically better this week against Kent State. Just my theory.
0: Should be. I caution that they're going to want to go fast on Saturday, and that could cause OU some problems, but good God, Kent State, don't be rolling out a couple three-and-outs to start the game. You'll be like UTEP. You'll blink. You'll be running back from the coin toss, and you'll look up, and you'll be down 21-nothing.
1: That's right. All right, quick timeout. More from the Rush coming up. Final hour rolls on here from Pinkberry on Campus Corner next.
0: Listen every Friday on The Rush for Filling Up the Stat Sheet. Teddy and Tyler will let you know who will fill in that stat sheet this weekend. Brought to you by Dorsey Jones Buick. Till bringing you this hour of the rush. Tyler McComas, Teddy Lehman, keep filling up the air comfort solutions text line 405-651-3439. There's Steve Sarkeesian, head coach at Texas. The ultimate gauge on how far your program has come in year two. Alabama comes to town. You're a 20-point dog. This is the gauge. What are they going to find out after the game's over around 2.30 in Austin? That they're still not very good?
1: They're going to find out that their best pitch is uh, the batting practice fastball to Pete Alonso. The uh,
0: eliminator that Wild Thing (laughs) tried to throw to uh, Jack Parkman?
1: Yeah. 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 I don't know. I they are they are a massive disadvantage in every matchup category on the field.
0: Are they are they better than Al like the obvious answer here is well B. John Robinson's better than anything's Alabama has. I mean Jameer Gibbs is pretty good for Bama. But yeah. I, I think if you judge things like running game as a whole, I think Bama's running game as a whole is better than Texas. So if you look at it that way, there really isn't anything in my opinion that Texas has or Texas does, it's better than Bama.
1: Well, here's the thing, though Texas's running game may be really good against ULM, but their offensive line against Alabama's defensive line is probably the worst matchup on the entire field uh, across all categories for them, which is not going to equate. To Bijan Robinson being better than the Gibbs kid. Because on the other side, Alabama's offensive line against Texas's defensive line is probably I, number two in matchup categories. That is horrible. Yeah. And that for was Texas. the weakness
0: that Alabama had coming into the year, by the way, is potentially their offensive line. But I do agree with right.
1: that. Right. Right. So I, I, don't know, I don't know one area that you can look at when you start to, to, to compare these teams and who's going to be on the field with one another, I, how Texas has not even an edge, but is there any category where it's a, a warsh, as we say? Um,
0: yes, there's a warsh, and it's home field advantage because Bama will have as many fans as Texas does.
1: I, I, I kid about that, kind of. Like, there's been – No, t- I, I said it in the first hour. I think it's a disadvantage for Texas that they're playing this game at home. Yeah.
0: Like, there's been time like, – Because never-
1: their fans are going to be excited when they get there. Like, the thought, like, this is it. This is where we bounce back. We take down the big dog. I don't know if
0: they think And that. then
1: they come out and just pour it on you, and there's going to be frustration there, and maybe yours throws a couple of early picks, and now everyone's asking for another quarterback, and it can – it could be bad to play someone like Alabama on your on your home field at times.
0: Nebraska went to Notre Dame in like 2000 or 2001, and there's like the very famous crowd shot where it looks like it's about 75% Nebraska red inside Notre Dame Stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, Georgia did that at Notre Dame in 2017. Oh, you had a really good showing at Notre Dame in 2013. I, I kind of do wonder if the crowd shot at DKR – is not in some ways going to look exactly like that, um, just Alabama Crimson all over the place. Because I, you know, Alabama doesn't get to play a whole lot of true road games in the non-con. Yeah. So this is a trip that I'm sure that they're pretty excited about. I'm sure they have a wide-ranging alumni base all across the country, especially in the state of Texas. It'll be a sellout. The cheapest ticket I found on StubHub is $200 before fees. I I don't know, man. I just wonder if at eleven a.m. they they show the crowd and we're not like, oh my god, there's so many Alabama fans here.
1: I bet there I bet there is going to be a ton of Alabama fans there. You know, it's a it's an easy place to get to. It's an easy place to fly to. Uh, it's a big enough city to where it's not going to be difficult to find hotel rooms and stuff. So it's a city that you know a lot of people talk about for the for the uh, live music and all of that stuff. So it's a destination where people, you know, don't mind going and spending a a few extra days beforehand as well. So, yeah, I imagine there's going to be a ton of Alabama fans there. God,
0: I didn't think about the live music aspect. You know, Austin, and they proudly say that they are a very progressive city down there. The Alabama fans are going to be on six streets in a progressive city like uh, Austin. And they're going to be chanting at all the musicians, hey, play some Skynyrd. Play a little Skynyrd, won't you? <laughs> the mix of Bama fans and Austin is going to be quite fascinating.
1: Yeah. Play Freebird. <laughs> Freebird. I'm looking forward to it. You know, I typically, when it comes to college football, like a good game. You know, it, for me to watch start to finish either needs to be uh, you know, like a team that I'm familiar with and in in maybe a Big Twelve team or a like a compelling matchup that's tight. Anytime there's separation and I feel like it's it's about to get out of hand, I'm usually on to something else. This is one that I will watch every Painful moment yeah. until the bitter end. I'm going to question Every myself single at second. the end.
0: Like, is this normal? Should you take joy in someone else's pain? Like, yeah, but I, it's going to be awesome. And no, do not, OU fans, under any circumstance, root for Texas in this game. And under any circumstance, don't feel sorry for Texas in this game. Don't do it, man. Don't do it. They don't deserve it. They don't deserve our pity here. Let him get seventy seven well, like hope A&M it's a did. Good
1: game and no one gets hurt. <laughs> well, was it, someone was telling you that they want Texas to win, so yeah, our line, win against Texas looks yeah, better, right? That's
0: why I said that. I'm like, what are you talking about? This is a golden opportunity for them to get completely embarrassed again on their home field. Let's take joy in this be, moment.
1: You gotta remember the they have all of the biggest recruits in the country at this game. Right? Uh, This is the game all the recruits want to come for. They're turning it into a huge recruiting uh, experience or whatever. You do not want them to beat Alabama. No way. Absolutely not. No way. I don't care if it's the only game they win all season, like Texas A&M. They're going to use it, and and it's going to be their rally cry for the next ten years that they beat Alabama uh, when they were number one in the country and came into Austin, Texas. You do not want that. You want Alabama to bury Texas's football program once and for all. Yeah.
0: I had it written down on the rundown sheet today. Did we learn anything about future opponents after week one? And I scratched that and said, no, we didn't. That's a waste of our time. We will, though, after week two. Alabama playing Texas, uh, Tech playing Houston, Iowa State playing Iowa. I think even definitely Baylor played at BYU. K-State playing Missouri at home. I still think that's one. I even think Oklahoma State playing Arizona State at home is going to be somewhat intriguing for their defense. So, I think, like, the majority of the rest of your schedule, you're going to figure out a lot about those teams after Saturday.
1: Here's the other thing, too. Kansas and West Virginia play this week, and I actually think Kansas looked really good in week one. So, See what they look like against West Virginia. See if it was just that they were playing a, a Tennessee Tech or if there's actually something to Kansas showing some signs of life in their football program. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. A couple of segments left. Hanging out here at Pinkberry, 323 West Boyd Street on Campus Corner. The uh, The frozen yogurt is outstanding. I'm trying the chocolate now. It's amazing. you got to come down here and try some of these flavors out.
0: It is the Rush live on the ref. We're the homo Sooner fans. Tyler McComas, Teddy Lehman. Yes, the NFL starts tonight. but We have high school football on tonight at the ref. KREFSports.tv. That's your smartphone, that's your laptop, your iPad, even your smart TV. KREFSports.tv. We have Norman and Moore, the old school rivalry. On the west side in week two of high school football. Check that one out with kickoff coming at 7 p.m. Speaking of uh, high school football, big, uh, big recruiting weekend for OU. David Hicks, five-star defensive lineman, going to be in town. Oh, really? Peyton Bowen, Notre Dame commit, but not for long, going to be in town as well with his little brother. That's a four-star corner. Jackson Arnold, five-star quarterback commits, going to be here. Caden Green, four-star offensive tackle commit, going to be here. That's just a name about a handful. Yeah, this is a major recruiting weekend for OU. Trying to uh, lock into five-stars defensively is what you're trying to do.
1: Well, what, what's your theory or what's your percentage on the uh, the Notre Dame commit that's coming to town flipping to the University of Oklahoma this weekend?
0: Greater than 50%, I will put Whoa. it at, um, let's go 60%. For well, are, are you asking, like, after this weekend he does or just at any point?
1: I'm saying, like, Like, you see something happen from it. Like, maybe he doesn't commit directly to OU, but maybe decommits from Notre Dame or or something. I I, I
0: feel like we felt like that is, when I say we, locked in, locked on, locked out, or whatever you call the the show that Parker and I do. Um, We felt like that for a few months now. He's taken an OU visit this weekend, and he's already been to Norman Mm. several times, by the way. But he's going to be at the OU game this week, this weekend, and he's scheduled to be in College Station uh, for the a and Miami game in week three. Now, that doesn't sound like a committed player to me. And there was always a thought that he was going to decommit from Notre Dame and go to OU. Parker will tell you that he thinks there's a better chance. Like, he thinks the real competitor here is not Notre Dame, who he's currently committed to. It's actually a and is the biggest threat here. So a decommit yeah. seems imminent. And I think that OU ends up getting the commitment from him, which would be massive.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that would be huge. Uh, he's the only five-star left on Notre Dame's uh, commit list right now, right? They've already lost a couple of Keon
0: guys. Keeley decommitted. He was at Ohio State last weekend, and uh, Alabama's got a strong chance there. I think he maybe is taking a Florida visit potentially, so yeah.
1: Well, that would be big. We still don't have a commitment from the Hicks kid, although most people that are familiar with the recruitment say that Oklahoma is the leader there by maybe a big margin. I don't know. Um, So you've got that. You've got the chance at the Bowen kid that's a five-star committed to Notre Dame. Man, if you pulled – just if you got those two players alone right there, that would do something pretty dramatic for your your ranking. Well, you just right?
0: get, you just get one, and you're the number two overall class. Um, oh, really? It, yeah, I mean, OU is the number five class right now. But Teddy, it's like between five, four, three, and two. I think Texas is at two right now. It is. I mean, it's a very, very small difference.
1: Jordan well, Renaud. One of those teams ahead of them is, is Notre Dame, and if you took yeah, their, yeah, their yeah. lone five-star remaining, that would definitely put you well ahead of them. Yeah. So yeah.
0: Um, like I, I think there's a real chance that OU ends up with the number two overall class this year. If you get Hicks and you get Bowen and you get Jordan Renaud, who's a four-star defensive lineman, he's committing in 11 days between OU and Bama. Sounds like OU feels pretty good about that one and then you get a Tassili Akana, who's another four-star edge. He's going to be in Austin this weekend for the Texas-Bama game, but OU still got a a decent shot there. Like If you get the players that you're supposed to here and flip Bowen, there's a really good chance you end up with the number two class. That's how close you are.
1: Well, um, let's hope it happens. You know, I – I think that you all those things look positive, and they're in a good position with a lot of those players. And, you know, there, there's still some players outside of the guys that you just mentioned that are uh, four-star kids that, that they feel pretty good about and, and have opportunities with. But, you know, I, I still, for whatever reason, whether it's right or wrong, I, I'm still nervous about hanging on to everyone that you've got by signing day. I'm with, not. I'm not, man. You know,
0: I'm really I'm, – I'm not – just, you just don't get the vibe from many of these guys. I, they're not taking any other visits, and I, I just – I'd be surprised. This class is not going to fall apart, I can tell you that. But right. I, I'd be surprised if they lost someone before signing day. I, honest, honestly, I would. Um, well, that would be gonna, amazing. I'm not going to get to talk to you tomorrow. So, while I have you here, what does success on Saturday look like against Kent State? Paint me that picture, please.
1: Well, I think that you've got to dominate the line of scrimmage um, on offense. We won the line of scrimmage against UTEP. I don't think we dominated, at least not in the fashion that I'd like to see it. Offensive line needs to play way better. Uh, I want to see more explosive plays down the field in the passing game. And, you know, I don't think that he was bad, but I do think that Dylan Gabriel could be a little sharper on some of the throws. There's no doubt there. And defensively, you know, they may hit a play or two on us. Just the nature of how they go about things offensively, it's going to be tough to keep everything that they do in front of you without letting something, because of tempo and all the different motions and stuff that they give you, something may get out of the gate. But we should absolutely dominate their offensive line on the line of scrimmage. should be another massively productive day when it comes to sacks and tackles for loss. And um, if you do that on both sides of the line of scrimmage, I think you should dominate this team. We should win this football game very, very convincingly. Play better. I uh,
0: locked it again this week. The second consecutive Look week. You. Locking OU. Yeah. Um, just show show me some growth from week one to week two. That's what I yeah. want to see. You know, I clean it up on the offensive line. If you have a third and one, don't get a five-yard penalty to move it back to third and six. I <laughs> Right. That, I mean, that's a pretty yeah. good start, right? Clean on the offensive line, better on the offensive line will go a long way.
1: Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, another good, clean, sharp day. All of the things that were good should be better, and all of the things that were lackluster or bad should be corrected. And so the, uh, totally the AC
0: working in the uh, press box up there with you, Woo. that
1: could be improved, right? Ah, I don't need that. Oh, okay. I, and listen,
0: like you weren't complaining up there the entire game. I don't believe that for a second.
1: I, of course I was, but I'm a- acting tough right now while we're on air. <laughs> right? But off yeah. off air, I was complaining like uh, you know a teenage girl about the air conditioning. I did belly
0: laugh when I heard that you guys didn't have air conditioning on Saturday. Uh, I enjoyed it, it that. It ended
1: up being just fine. All right, uh, quick timeout. More from the Rush coming up. we got a final segment next here from Pinkberry. Right here on Campus Corner, 323 West Boyd. you got to stop in. Fantastic stuff. The frozen yogurt here is amazing. New favorite for me, the chocolate frozen yogurt is the go-to. Stop in and try some.